Hey, my name is Paige, one of our servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope you can lean in and enjoy this message. It is so awesome to be here this morning, and I just love, love that your leadership and Jordan uh, have decided to do this series. It's pretty amazing. It's just a yet another testimony to the forward-thinking, in-touch, non-ear-tickling leadership that you have here at Ethos, no joke, because while most voices are communicating to the next gen right now, hey, run from churches, your leadership is saying, no, run, run to church. That's pretty cool, I think. And I think the fact, honestly, that people are exiting churches in scads reflects the prevailing spirit of our age that has begun to think of community as commodity. That's a dangerous turn, isn't it? It's a dangerous turn. And I love Eugene Peterson, and about this sort of sentiment, he asks, how does it happen that what originates as a creation of the Holy Spirit so frequently gets packaged as a technique or product. And he offers that the formulation of community is the intricate, patient, painful work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot buy or make community. We can only offer ourselves to become community. And I know that that's George and Court's heart for you all and why you're even doing this series that I am so thankful for. And Larry Crabb, I just wanted to share this with you. He offers these true steps to community, he said. And I just dig them so much, I'm like, I gotta say this. He says they are worship, humility, and then dialogue. Isn't that good? He says, I want us to talk with each other, not merely to make conversation, but to make a difference. To be caught up in another sphere, the world of the spirit, where first things are first and second things are second. I want us to experience a kind of oneness that makes us aware of what's best inside us. I believe that's what the writer to Hebrews had in mind. He told us to never stop getting together with other Christians. And when we do get together to say and do things that stir into flame of fire to arouse the life God's spirit has placed within us so that we can go on through dark nights or pleasant mornings with our eyes fixed on unseen reality. I love it. He told us to consider, to think hard about what all that means. So the verse that he's referencing, let's look at it together, is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says, and let us consider, that's the to think hard about, Let's think hard about how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. So I wanted to focus in on the the particular part here to start about let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Can we say as many are in the habit of doing? Right, especially since the past three years and all of the increasing anxiety and fear-based living that's come about as a result of that. But even the cynicism and the deconstruction of even the most you know, basic of tenets, what it's doing is not working to build community. It's working to isolate people into a false community in so many ways, right? So I wanna look at that. I want to look at why does that happen? And so, Honestly, I'm going to be, I've been a counselor for over 30 years. I'm going to tell you the specific reason that that happens is specific to you, which is the nature of your wounds and what you've been through is why you are hesitant to get in community. That makes sense, right? 
your unique story. So we can't do that this morning to go through all our unique stories. But what we can do, we can talk about some universal outworkings of those, some things that I have seen kind of that apply to us all when it comes to why do I cut myself off even from the very thing that I want and I know is good for me. So the first one is this, expectations. Expectations. Now, and before you think you don't have these, think again. We have them not only about others, but about God, about life, about so many things. We expect the elastic on your clothing to work. You expect that the Buckeye game will not be blacked out. You expect your pastor to go to lunch when you ask. You expect your friend not to talk behind your back. You expect a good friend won't ask you for the $10 back that you borrowed from them last week. You expect that your neighbor won't let his dog defecate on your perfectly quaffed lawn. You expect that Christians aren't going to like overtly swear and smoke and sin and all the things. You expect that, you know, your girlfriend's going to like the monster truck pull. You expect your children to eat the food that you make them and on and on. Seriously. I did a small survey. This is hysterical. A small survey um, about spouses and their expectations. And I heard things like this, that my spouse would always do what I wanted. I expected that my spouse would enjoy my hobbies. I expected that my spouse would want to spend as much time with me as I, him, or her. I expected that my spouse would like my family. I expected that he or she would change. I expected my spouse to like everything about me. (laughs) What's your reaction to that, married people? Right? (laughs) Right? So even the point immediately makes sense, and here it is, that expectations set others up for failure, and set ourselves up to be disappointed. Instead, I'll be honest, I think it's a better paradigm to think Christian relationships are best intended to be zero expectation arrangements. Listen to Colossians 3.1. I think you'll hear it. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That's kind of a direct blow to expectations, right? So why are expectations dangerous? I'm even saying that. Because they are like law. Can you figure out why they're like law? Okay, so if I have the, the expectation that when it's my birthday, my closest friends are gonna get me a gift, get me a card, and probably make some arrangements to do something on my birthday. So I have that expectation. So if my good friend Allie, who is here this morning, walks in on my birthday, and I'm like looking around for like what's in her hand, a little gift card in her pocket, like what? And I'm like looking around, and I kind of see that there's nothing there my expectation is going to be disappointed. And she may catch my vibe, I may be overt about it or covert about it, but right, she has not met the expectation. Are you with me? So if I have no expectation that anyone needs to do anything for me on my birthday, and so then it's my birthday and my friend Allie walks in with like a gift, guess what? Oh my gosh, what a blessing that is, how great, thank you, you didn't have to give me that, I love it, oh so great. You see the difference? Whereas if I have the expectation, what happens is like she's just gotten a box check. Good job. You did what you were supposed to. Whereas if I have no expectation, there's a certain sense in which I have the opportunity to experience blessing and to feel loved in a way that I wouldn't because of my expectation. 
Same thing with things in your you know, family life, right? If you have the expectation that every time your spouse walks in the door, you know, they need to give some sort of like physical greeting and be like, hello, so great to see you. I don't know. <laughs> and if your spouse comes in the door and doesn't do that, I mean, immediately it sets a tone in your house that is starting off not great. Instead of if you have no expectation, right? Then a person comes in and says, you know, hello and greets you. Boy, that feels great. I mean, seriously, think about how many times you're disappointed on your birthdays, anniversaries, disappointed with gifts, holidays. What is that about? I'm going to say it's about expectations. We can hope for a gift on your birthday, but to expect it, right? Do you see that the danger is that expectations put others in a debt position, It reminds me of how Jesus talked about the Pharisees and how they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. It's this idea of this heavy load, and if we're honest about expectations, honestly, they're never pure, are they? If you think about it, expectations are always tied to I. I want, I need. They're really one-sided. So often when we, even if we do a good to another person, we do good for another person, how often is that we just want something in return? And Philippians 2, this beautiful Christ life passage, says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And that's the prescription for the best Christ life in us. Expectations are never rooted in putting another's interest above our own, are they? So where do they come from? Okay, they come from everywhere. They come from deficit. If you didn't get this in your childhood, you're gonna be like, I need that from you people, right? You're gonna put it on them. Or it comes from fullness, which is, I had this in my childhood and you need to do that too, right? I mean, they just come from everywhere. They come from culture. They come from entitlement. They come from insecurity. They come from unhealth. What they do is they crowd out gratitude, which is a primary attitude and posture that God says will mark his children. Because of the debt situation that expectations create, we rarely show gratitude for the things we expect. If you expect that, you know, once a week your spouse is gonna, you know, take you to a movie or get you flowers or I don't know, spouse is gonna do something. And that, right, we're not grateful for it because we've just had that expectation. One could argue, honestly, that the things you don't show gratitude for are actually probably in the expectation category. I don't know. And I just got to say a word about this, that those of you who come from more stable, secure situations, ah, you usually have a little bit of difficulty with this, right? So my husband came from that situation. I did not. And so he comes to our relationship. He came to our relationship, still does, but less so, with with expectations based upon all the fullness that he received. Like, how hard can it be to cook like my mom? (laughs) What? Right? And I'm like, how hard can it be to be emotionally in tune? (laughs) Well, he's like, I haven't been wounded, so I don't need to be. And I'm like, oh, nice. Nice. That's the whole, he came from Beaver Cleaver, those of you that know that, and I came from Dysfunction Junction. And so, yeah, amen. Thank you. Let's let's have a small group afterwards. Okay. (laughs) 
So honestly, when we think about expectations, uh, it calls to mind the wisdom writer in Proverbs 3, 5. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Expectations are our own understanding. Like, well, this is how I need what I want and how I need it to look. Okay? Okay, so how do we know if we have them? Just some indicators for you, because some of you are totally tracking with this, and some of you are like, you're what? Uh, Constant disappointment. Usually we're unaware of our expectations until brought to the fore at times like today, but a telltale sign if we're living with too high or too many expectations, especially for believers who are full of joy and contentment of Christ within, it's if we find ourselves constantly disappointed. You see how that doesn't match the Christ life within you. So whether we have consciously or unconsciously harbored expectations, we have set ourselves up for failure and usually end up frustrated, angry, and personally discouraged. One writer said, dangerous things can happen when we have expectations of others. We will more than likely find ourselves drowning in a sea of disappointment. Over time, that disappointment will spill over into our hearts and a bitter root will spring to life and resentment rolls right in after that. That reminds me of Hebrews 12, 15. Have you heard this verse? He said, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You can cause someone to miss the grace of God underneath the unconscious weight of your expectations and demands therein, right? I have found, honestly, I just kind of think this, that expectations and grace are a little bit mutually exclusive. It's one or the other. It's literally time for us to apply the amazing debt-free relationship we have with God because of Jesus and apply it to the people in our lives. And that's Romans 13, 8. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Just a note for those of you that are like, hold up, hold up. (laughs) What? Zero expectations? Well, what about the trash? Who's going to take out the trash? Didn't we, isn't his job, her job, take out the trash? Right? You're kind of like, your your brain's like stuck. Listen, desires, wishes, need, wants, and agreed upon roles and responsibility, those are all different from expectations. That's not what we're talking about. Okay? So I'm wondering if you can just, you and the spirit can have a minute and you're just thinking, what are some expectations that I've had? Like, can I name some? And how's that affected your relationships? And here's better. How would it change those relationships if I didn't have those expectations? If I didn't get so ticked off when so-and-so doesn't return my texts? If I didn't get so mad when, you know, such-and-such doesn't invite me to their one group? So... We've got to understand our hopes and our expectations are for God, right? That way there's no one left to blame when they're unmet. By holding no person responsible for fulfilling our needs, we bypass anger, bitterness, resentment, and in this way, our relationships are actually protected. So we've got to shrink our expectations of others and expand our expectations of God. I want you to think about this, though, even expectations with God for just a hot second. They missed the Savior because of their... Mm-hmm. Their expectations. Because they had this picture of what they thought he was going to be like. And he's over here looking real different than their picture. And they're like, this, 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 this. How many things are we missing in our life that are actually much better for us? Because we're so bent on our picture. 
So I want to ask you a question even as we're in this awesome series. Are you expecting church to be full of people or perfection? People are messy and broken and all the things. You want me to go off on that? I don't think you need me to. Right? All right, so unwitting, excuse me, unmet expectations can lead us to unwittingly living in hurt from what we think is someone withholding from us or just being disappointing. And when that happens, here's our second barrier to community that I find is pretty commonplace, and it's this. We can end up being a person who lives in self-protection. Self-protection is a distance between ourselves and others in an attempt to protect us from further pain. Because of the pain we have received from relationships, we tend to keep a distance between ourselves and others to protect us from further pain. Larry Crabb says, beneath every method of relating can be found a commitment to self-interest, a determination to protect oneself from more relational pain. Our self-protection plants the seeds of quarrels, fights, and jealousies, causing relational poverty in families, communities, churches, nations, and the world. We are failing to love others the way Jesus loved us. When we turn our relational longings towards heaven, only then can we learn to love people fully the way God does. And I want to say that for some of you, being loved is really hard for you. It falls under this category. We need courage to open ourselves to receive love from others because we and they are sinful Misunderstanding and rejection is always a possibility, and so it's tempting to retreat into our castle and pull up the drawbridge. Yeah, they'll, they'll be safe. You'll be safe from the dangers of heartbreak there, maybe, for a hot second. But you'll also be lonely and distanced from the pleasures of love behind those castle walls. Anybody who puts up walls knows. Mm, first of all, they don't really protect me from hurt, and second of all, it's pretty sad and lonely in here. So self-protection, in my sort of estimation and formulation, it's like we're actually playing God. It's like we're going, oh, yeah, God, I trust you. Holy is a yes, got you, you're good. Champion, let's go. But over here, I need to take care of myself because you failed me in the past here, so I'm just going to keep this little pocket of my heart. All pre- I got to take care of this because mm, I got hurt and you didn't do a good job protecting me there. Everything else is yours, good to go. We're kind of playing God when we do that. We don't realize. So self-protection is an easy place to run when one has been hurt over and over again. If you were hurt from abuse, betrayed, or neglected, honestly, it solidifies in our minds that all people are not safe. One author said, so I chose to protect myself. I hid behind my anger for many years, and then I turned it inward and became depressed. So in that way, right, self-protection is the silent killer of relationship, true relationship. Often, our interactions with others simply boil down to two self-protecting ways, excuse me, self-protective ways of interacting. So can I just read a list? It's, it's, little, it's a little cumbersome. Can I just read a list for you to try to you know, operationalize this for you about what self-protection looks like? Thank you. <laughs> so examples of self-protection. Relating to one another with the hidden purpose of maintaining our comfort and avoiding whatever sort of interaction we find threatening. It's having the top priority of one's own protection from the possibilities of pain in relationship. That's like up there for you. 
It's clinging to our right to protect ourselves. It's justifying ourselves to conceal sins and mistakes. It's being a slave to self-concern, always influencing what we say, how we say it, and to whom. It's being hypersensitive, too easily upset by criticism and disagreement, leading to bitterness. It is becoming frustrated for not getting the attention we think we deserve. It's burying hurtful feelings and living non-transparent lives. It's being more concerned with how we feel and less concerned with the lives of others. It's being clothed with nice conduct, not with an intent to glorify God and to do good to others, but to protect ourselves from further frustration of our longings to be respected and loved. It's becoming angry when people to fail to care about us as they should. It's developing bitterness when people don't respond to our demands. I know that was a lot. Just trying to see if there's a way that you can figure it out if that's you or not. And I personally am convicted by Proverbs 3.27 when it comes to self-protection, let alone the fact that self-protection is a sin. But here's Proverbs 3.27. It's, hmm. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. It convicts me about self-protection. So the third barrier to community that just flows directly from self-protection are masks. Masks. Chuck Swindoll queried years ago, what mask are you hiding behind? There's a mask for every occasion. Have you noticed? No matter how you really feel, regardless of the truth, if you become skilled at hiding your guard, you don't have to hassle all the things that come with full disclosure. You feel safe. There's just one major difficulty. It isn't real. What's worse, as we hide the truth behind a veneer polished to a high gloss, we become lonely instead of understood and loved for who we are. And the most tragic part of it all is that the longer we do it, the better we get at it. And the more alone we remain hidden in our world of fear, pain, anger, insecurity, and grief. All those normal and natural emotions we hesitate to admit, but that only prove that we're human. So masks, what we're talking about here, are any device or mechanism that we use to keep people from getting close. So obviously we're not talking about physical masks here. And so while physical masks, you know what they do, they disguise true identity, emotional masks deflect penetration. Do you know yours? Have you ever been part of a conversation or a small group that's going just in a really good direction and somebody cracks a joke? Now that joke is funny, it's a good one. But what happens to the conversation? It's derailed. Or how about when somebody looks at you in the eyes and says, no, really, how are you? And you whip out your uh, typical, I'm doing good, I'm fine, instead of taking advantage of your sincere friend's concern. Rather than moving towards authenticity, you put your I have it all together mask on. There's also the person who so wants to be included. He gets an invitation, however, and declines. His mask is isolation, and his M.O. of being a loner remains intact. Others have a way of spiritualizing everything. Biblical knowledge is great, but the way this person uses it is actually a way to keep people from knowing him or her. Who would even try to come back to someone who has just quoted scripture after a penetrating question? I'm so sorry to hear about your dog and your dog's passing. Well, you know, yes, Spot was amazing, but our God works all things together for good. Yes. <laughs> Masks are ways we relationally hide from others. 
The purpose of them is to kind of cover and confuse. They're meant to protect us from the perceived danger of the world. And most of these personal hiding styles have existed for the better part of our lives, honestly. Because it's important to note, this is important. Masks come out of our God-given personalities, so they're not all bad. No, no. They're just not great when they're saboteurs to community. They're saboteurs to the call to live free in Jesus. But we don them when we don't want to reveal what's going on inside us. We put them on to deflect others from the fact, honestly, that we have relational longings, that we have needs and wants and fears and insecurities and doubts, that maybe we're depressed and anxious. And so ugh, shame makes us feel like if people were in my head, they would never like me. They would think I'm crazy. And that's mask time, right? It comes from our tendency to keep our unacceptable parts of ourselves under wraps and present only what we think is acceptable to the rest of the world. Ah. Masks are part of the reality that, honestly, to some extent, all of us do live a bit of two lives, an external life in which we learn the feelings, attitudes, and behaviors that are safe to express, sorry, an external life, and an internal life in which we closet away our unsafe traits, which exist isolated and undeveloped. You're not unloved. Perfect love casts out fear. Right? So you don't need masks. So while they're intended to deflect penetration, they actually paralyze us in isolation from those who would love us the most. So I have the mask. I am so good at this mask. <laughs> Mine is the turn it back on you so fast it'll make your head spin mask. And I remember I had a conversation with somebody long ago and I whipped that out. And I was like, later, reflecting like, I chose to look good in that person's eyes rather than make the, uh, have the choice of true connection. Why did I do that? Right? So here are some common examples. Perhaps you can find yours. Humor. I'm fine. All right, so we'll do the list here. Humor. Have it all together. Super spiritual. I'm fine. Number one mask in the church. I'm fine. Uh, Lone Ranger. Low self-esteem. Aloof. Rescuer. Porcupine, a little ouchy, chaotic, tough guy or gal, answer person, party girl or guy, martyr, and then let's all just have just a little grief party about sarcastic, because I love sarcasm, don't you? It's awesome. But sarcasm communicates to people what? That you're not safe, right? There's the hermit, there's the rescuer, um, yeah. So masks come out of our personality, so they're not, all, they're not all bad, only bad when they become a way to hide really. The person who cracks a joke as a conversation is going deeper could be wearing a humor mask and uses it to deflect, even though she's actually super funny. You see? Masks are only dangerous when they sabotage true community, right? So here's the opposite of masks. This annoyingly awesome verse from Paul. <laughs> he says, about the Lord, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. <laughs> That's clearly a call to live unmasked, right? Yeah? As is Matthew 5:15, which says, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill. You don't have a light and put it under a, what, a bushel or, yeah, under a something, whatever that something is. <laughs> He's like, you're my light. Don't mask it up. What are you doing? What are you, what are you doing hiding that? I, have, I created you the way I wanted you to be. That's a different message. I'll come back and give it again if we need. I created you the way I wanted you to be. Come on, don't mask that up. 
I got a unique expression of the world that is you. Let's live there. So if we know these truths, that God gets glory when we allow our weaknesses to be shown, and that we're his light, period, why do believers wear masks? Well, I got to be with you a couple months ago when we talked about shame, didn't we? It's because we're taking the bait of shame. In the garden, Adam and Eve, unbroken relationship with God and one another. What happened? Tempted by the serpent, Satan. And what happened after that moment? They sinned. And what did they do? They had been naked and unashamed. The minute sin entered the world, what did they do? They made themselves some fig leaves. (laughs) And we've been doing that ever since by wearing masks. There are emotional fig leaves. And that is the life that Christ died for. It's like, no, we don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live masked. Psalm 34, four and five verses I cling to in my life. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. That's our reality in Jesus. So beginning to tear barriers down to community can happen as we understand something here because we live on a broken planet honestly everyone's going to hurt you and let you down at some point that is a freeing reality yeah it's sad but it uh, writes us to live correctly in relationship with one another are you with me it's because why Romans 3.23 straight up told us how many have sinned and fall short of the glory of God (laughs) and yet when we see Jordan's sin we're like oh Right? Or when we see somebody that we look up to, they could trip on the way out here and have a list, of, uh, let out a, uh, an, a list of creative expletives that are like, <laughs> you're like, okay, there it is. Everyone's going to disappoint you at some point. Everyone's been hurt. And what do hurt people do? Hurt people hurt people. So we can begin to move towards community by understanding we are all messed up without Jesus. Can I get a witness? Can I get an amen? Can I get a turn to your person next to you and say, I am messed up, you know? (laughs) I am, I'm a disaster. There's so much freedom that comes living that. It's so fun. So stepping stones to true community. You're like, Tammy, what an upper man, this message. Mass self-protection. It's my way of life. I gotta leave and become a new person. What's that? <laughs> so here we go. Stepping stones to true community. Are you ready? The very lifeblood of Jesus in us is forgiveness. Forgiveness is giving up the right to even the score. I don't know what your perception of forgiveness is. It's just giving up the right that you have to hold something over somebody's head. Because we understand that people are simply people and because we live out of Christ's love for us, that's huge. Forgiveness is a non-negotiable in relationships, non-negotiable. One of the things I get to talk about on the regular a little bit is forgiveness and I'm like, give forgiveness daily. It needs to be a part of our everyday life. It is the lifeblood of Jesus within us. Mike and I read a premarital book. It was the only one we actually liked. And it's out of print now. And I'm going to tell you why. 
because it said basically you better be willing to forgive your spouse every day multiple times a day or you won't stay married so good I'm reading a book right now Mike and I are, are called Total Forgiveness and it's this radical idea and I believe it'll change nations honestly but it's total forgiveness right it is the lifeblood of Christ. He said, be comp- uh, the writer of Ephesians said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. It's so important to relationship. You know, the Lord told us, Jesus said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. He said, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. It's critical to community. We are not going to be able to stay in relationship unless we agree to forgiveness. So kind of how or what is forgiveness? I think Colossians 3.13 is so instructive here. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Here it is. Here's the, here's the sort of picture that does it for me. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. As the Lord. That's the as. It's like, like he did you. So how did he forgive you and me? Well, it was a decision. It was certainly not a feeling. It was an act of his will. We don't forgive because it feels like great. If anybody's told you like, I mean, forgiveness is just lollipops, sunshine, roses, you'd be like, boom. (laughs) Because that's the opposite. Forgiveness is difficult. As the Lord forgave you is also an ongoing event between you and God. It's not between you and the other person. They're over there skipping to my loo doing just fine. Have you noticed that? And you're over there smoking. They're doing fine. It's about you and the Lord. It's not the same as forgetting or justifying an action. Oh no, you'll never forget. It is without limits. Forgive small, forgive big. Yes, big. And forgive small. It's huge. And honestly, it's most likely going to be painful. It killed Jesus. So if anybody's been giving you a different picture, here's what Max Lucado says. Some people perceive the path of forgiveness to be impossibly steep. So let's be realistic. Forgiveness does not pardon the offense. It doesn't excuse the misdeed or ignore it. Forgiveness is not even necessarily reconciliation. The phrase forgive and forget sets an unreachable standard. Painful memories are not like old clothing easily shed. Uh Uh-uh. Forgiveness is simply the act of changing your attitude toward the offender. It's moving from a desire to harm towards an openness to be at peace. A step in the direction of forgiveness is a decisive step towards happiness. And there is a quote that I love that says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover the prisoner is you. See, seriously, instead of holding onto offense and stifling the Christ life within you, offer forgiveness regularly because if we don't, bitterness will grow. And I'm being very straightforward with you when I say, as a clinician and practitioner, there are only two emotional states that I have seen kill someone. One is organic depression and the other is bitterness. We can't underestimate what unforgiveness does to the human spirit, but even the body. There's tons of studies. We do it for the Lord because he's like, do you trust me? I know how bad unforgiveness is on your heart. You cannot, you are too valuable to my kingdom to walk around with an offended heart. Come on, give it to me. Come on, I see it. I, I see it. I see what it's cost you. I feel the pain with you. I, 
I have compassion on you. I paid for all of the sin involved in all of this. Just give it to me. I got it. I will vindicate everything at some point. You got to give it to me. Do you trust me? Come on. You can, you can give it to me. I know. I know what it cost you. But you can give it to me. Do you trust me? It's about you and God. Right? I love this quote by Anne Lamott. It's just lighthearted, but it's great. She says, Earth is forgiveness school. You might as well start at the dinner table. That way you can do this work in comfortable pants. <laughs> ah, Proverbs 19.11 is like, okay, a person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. I think that's a healthy, like it's to one's health, it's to one's goodness to overlook an offense. But also important is the scripture that says, he who is forgiven little loves little. Do you hear that? I think the reason we're so stingy with forgiveness of people in our lives is because we don't apprehend the enormity of our forgiveness. It's amazing. So if you don't understand the depth of your own forgiveness, you'll be pretty stingy with loving and forgiving others. I also think we could say that when we don't understand the depth of our own forgiveness, we are thankful little, which is the next step to true community. So the first step is forgiveness, just being willing to just move on, overlook, give grace, assume the best. What do you have to lose in that? So the second one is this, gratitude. Gratitude is always God's desired posture for us and our best response for the unique and beautiful people that he's placed in our lives. Gratitude is an attitude blessed, actually commanded by God. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you hear it? If you're wondering what God's will for your life is, ba-boom, here it is. It's straight up black and white in the Bible. God's will for you is to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, let's be clear. It doesn't say mm, to give thanks for all circumstances. I'm serious. I got some circumstances right now in my life. I am not okay with it. It says to give thanks in all circumstances. And so I give thanks that God will see me through. I give thanks that God will give breath and strength and he will cause hope to rise in only the way that he can, that God will be faithful, that he will provide manna. Give thanks in all circumstances and gratitude is such a life-giving thing to us. Again, the, the studies, the research is there. Go do it this afternoon. It's fun to see the physical benefits of being a person of gratitude. Living in gratitude is often a choice to focus on what is. I know I've shared this with you before, so hang with me. Living in gratitude is often a choice to focus on what is instead of what is not. Are you so thankful for the things that your church is? Are you so frustrated about where's our building and where's our grandfather? Why is it black and white? Are you so thankful for what is or what is not? Are you so thankful for the bed that you do sleep on? The place that you do sleep? Are you so just wrecked? Why can't I have a house like them? Or why can't I live there? Are you so thankful for the friends you do have? Are you still like, oh, I just want to kill her that she's just so bad. I'm like, like giving me like encouragement. Why does she have to be an eight on the Enneagram? I'm going to go find a new friend. But she challenges you and makes you better, right? Right? Are you so thankful? Mike is awesome as a husband. Literally eight and a half or nine on a scale of one to ten for what husbands should be and do. He's straight up killing it as a husband. 
I do know that man would die for me. And guess what? No joke. On many days, he just doesn't do it for me. What do you think is going on on those days? I'm focused on the one and a half that he isn't rather than the eight and a half or nine that he is. Are you with me? Is this the most loyal, kind, faithful, dedicated man? Right? Is he going to like always be there for me? Yes. But if I come home today, is he going to be like, so tell me about your heart. And let's spend the next two hours just plumbing the depths of your emotional experience this morning. <laughs> no one's a 10. No church is a 10. No community is a 10. Can we focus on the eight and a half or nine that they are instead of the one and a half that they're not? And to do this, I think it's so great. It's so instructive in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. By the way, I'm sure you see that verse. That is also tied to Philippians 4, 6, which is talking about how you get rid of anxiety by rejoicing in the Lord. And this is, if you train your brain to do these things, you cannot be anxious at the same time as thinking about these things. It's so cool. Yeah, his word is so amazing. So the third aspect of building stepping stone to community, bridge to community, bridge to relationship is this, to choose others and love maturity and sacrifice. Friends, instead of living self-concerned, you know, trust God, he's got you, he's got your needs, he's got all that you need in terms of love and provision. Instead of living self-concerned, make mature, sacrificial, Christ-like choices in our lives and relationships. We said it earlier, but here it is on screen, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So I'm just gonna give a list of how powerful and often and so intense the power of our choice is. We have choice every day to do these things, to give grace or hold grudges. Do you have that list? Yes, you do. To isolate or to be in community, to be insecure or to be secure. You know what we're talking about. You have the choice and I have the choice for these things every day, to judge or to release to God, to be distant or to, be, or to courageously reach out, to forgive or to become embittered, to have faith or have fear, to reach out first or to wait for others, to personalize, you know what that is? Well, why did they remember? <laughs> or to pray like, that's not normal. God, would you please bless whatever's going on with them and I just pray for them right now, right? To be anxious or to trust, to run to friends first or to run to Jesus first, to join in gossip or redirect. Every one of us has this ability. And you know, redirect can be like, you're listening and you're like, oh. you hear someone go, well, that church service wasn't very good. She, she went on too long or she too heavy or blah. And you can be like, well, look, look at that bright sunshine. <laughs> Everyone can do that one. To complain or to be thankful, to hold anger or to show mercy. And here's another tool that I like to just, it's kind of, doesn't actually fit in deeply other than with the <laughs> pursue community, bridge building to community. My friends, when in doubt, check it out. When in doubt, check it out. Why didn't Wesley talk to me this morning? Hmm. I don't like how that feels. What's his problem? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Instead of taking that bait, be like, hey, Wes, everything okay? Did I offend you? 
You have a weird conversation. You, you kids getting in your craw. Call your friend. Hey, John, when we were talking, whatever, at Starbucks, did, was that weird to you too? Did we have some weird vibe? There's so much maturity that comes through that. I had to do it this week with somebody. Gosh, I hate having to preach that. Because <clears throat> when you preach it, you got to do it. So I had a tough conversation this week where I got with somebody for the purpose of when in doubt, check it out. And I had to be like, my feelings are hurt. And it was great. Because we went the whole way through it. We went the whole way through it. Do you understand? When you go the whole way through it, you're closer on the other side. But what we do is we're like, out. Oh my gosh, do you know what I just did? (laughs) That's a reference to my, (laughs) this is so ADD. My husband, he did fly planes for the military at one point. And one of their... Safety protocols was hand grips squeezed, trigger, you know, triggers raised, or triggers squeezed, hand grips raised. That meant to eject. That's why I was like, you get the whole way through something, or... (laughs) 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 Woo! Okay. It's so good. Yeah, and uh, there was a chapter in a book that I only needed the chapter title. It said, it's a marriage book. It said, conflict, the pathway to intimacy. In other words, when we get the whole way through something, difference of opinion, misunderstanding of a situation, we're closer on the other side, but we all get out too early, don't we? Listen, Jesus told us that this formulation of sacrificial choice of others is real. He said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. If you let go of all the ways in which you're trying to get life, give me, you give me, give me some, give me love, give me if we, if we let go of all the ways we're trying to get life and simply just commit ourselves to loving and giving and blessing. Do you know Luke 7, 38, John 7, 38, ooh, Luke I think says rivers, springs of living water will flow through you. That's how it's meant to be. So this important work, working out of moving towards community This idea of sacrificial choice is to continue to put to death yourself as the center of all things. And instead, here it is. Have you heard this quote? Be kind to all, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Everybody has something. Everybody has a thing. You know that, right? Everybody in this room has one, two, or three major issues. I'm going to lock the door and have us share them. We do. You have a person beside you who might have actually had a panic attack while sitting beside you. And they stayed. Good job. Everyone's got a thing. Everyone's got major stuff going on. Right? So, by way of summary of the uh, message, what I want to do is I just want to have us sort of commit to and just be reflect on with the Lord, which barrier to community is the bigger stumbling block for you? Is it expectations? Is it self-protection? Or is it masks? So just personally, which is the bigger barrier for you? And what I want us to do is I'm gonna read those three things and I would like you to raise your hands for which one is a bigger stumbling block for you. But I want us to agree right now that we do not talk about this to anyone if we notice they raise their hand. Can we agree to that safety? That it doesn't get talked about outside this room whatever a person raised their hand to. Yes? Yes? So let's do that right now. Let's just...
do a show of hand for which one you know is, you know, a bigger stumbling block for you when it comes to moving towards true community. I'm going to list them. I'm going to say expectations. I'm going to say self-protection. I'm going to say masks. So who knows? Expectations is something the Lord's talked to you about this morning. And who knows? Self-protection is like your jam. Like you are, you live pretty self-protected. And who knows? Dude, I've donned masks quite a bit. It's so good. Thank you. And likewise then, the three bridges to community, the three ways in which to build out community are forgiveness, gratitude, and sacrificial choice. And so for this one, I'm just going to have a stand when you're like, this is the one that the Lord has pricked my heart about that I want to lean into and I need to lean into and I know it's good. Forgiveness or gratitude or sacrificial choice. Where's your heart with the Lord this morning? So let's go ahead and stand for the one that uh, most applies to where you are and what God's talking to you about. So is yours forgiveness? Stand if that's the one that you know you are being convicted of or just moved to this morning. And for those of you that know gratitude's been the message God has given you this morning and that's what you need to work on, it's gratitude. Please stand. And then for those of you that know choosing others, these sacrificial mature choices, why don't you go ahead and stand. So look at this Larry Crabb quote with me. He said, a spiritual community, a church, is full of broken people who turn their chairs towards each other because they know they cannot make it alone. These broken people journey together with their wounds and worries and washouts visible, but are able to see beyond the brokenness to something alive and good, something whole. 